Please open up in your Bible to uh, the book of First Peter. If you missed last week, uh, we had uh, uh, Gideons come, uh, and the Gideons are the, the the guys that are responsible for putting all the Bibles in all of the hotel rooms, and they hand them out at uh, at schools all over the place, and uh, about. I don't know, once a year at least, they come and share just a little bit more about their ministry. And it's, it's an amazing, uh, structure. I, I love the structure of the Gideons. It's, it's these businessmen, essentially, who volunteer their time to hand out the Bibles, but also pay dues, uh, in to be a part of Gideons. And, and those dues that they pay go to support the administrative costs for the organization. So that when they come to a place like this and ask for, for donations, all of that goes to, Bibles, like 100% of it goes to, to Bibles. And uh, I, I love this ministry for a number of different reasons, but one of the main ones is that this is, this is a group of, of people who just believe 100% in the power of the Bible. They believe with all their hearts that if they could just get God's Word into more people's hands, that this Bible would do its work of transforming hearts. And I love when they come, because when they come, they always share stories of exactly how that's happened in some way or another, about uh, some person who was either struggling or at a point of crisis and and uh, opened up the drawer in the hotel room or had one of these handed to them and and opened it and read it, and God changed their lives. Because the Word of God really, truly does have power. Amen? Right? It has, it has the power to save us. And through it, we learn about God's grace and God's mercy and God's saving love through Jesus. Uh, the Bible has the power to convict the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a, a double-edged sword. Uh, the, the Word of God has the power to, to guide us. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Word of God has the power to, to correct and reprove and train in all righteousness. And the, the passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning here in 1 Peter chapter 1 is all about the transforming work of the Word of God. Follow along as I read it, starting in verse 22. And pay attention as I read through this to how many different times in this short little passage he mentions God's Word. Uh, Since you have in obedience to the truth, okay, there's one, uh, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So far, 
Uh, this past month, uh, we've studied how this letter, 1 Peter, over and over and over again, reminds us of, of who we are and, and who we belong to and where we're headed. And, and why? Like, why does Peter spend so much time uh, over and over again reminding us of, of who we are? I think it's because when we know our identity in Christ, when we know who we are, it, it helps us to know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live our lives. And, and that same uh, teaching method continues in our passage here. N- knowing who we are enables us to obey and love. And, and what's, what's one of the primary ways in which we know uh, who we are? How do we know our identity? It's, it's through reading and studying and understanding God's Word. And so here Peter describes a number of different things that the Word of God does for us. The first thing he mentions is that it, it purifies our souls. He says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. And, and, and what, is, what does Peter mean when he says obedience to the truth? He's talking here about responding to the Word of God with faith and belief and trust. It's, it's what happened when we first heard that gospel of salvation and it clicked and we understood our sin and our depravity and we understood God's love and mercy towards us. We understood that what Jesus Christ had accomplished for us and, and we placed our faith in Him and we believed. It's, it's this response of confessing and believing in Jesus that that's this obedience to the truth that he talks about where we recognize I'm a sinner deserving of death and Jesus is God's son and he died to take my place and to pay my debt and through faith in him I am forgiven and I am adopted and I am born again all because of the grace and mercy of God it's, it's that. So it's that faith in the Word of God that, that resulted in God declaring us righteous. And it was that obedience to the truth that led to the purification of our souls. And, and really, God gets all the credit for it, right? God is the one who has done this work of transformation in our hearts, just like He promised He would do. Over in Ezekiel 37, He says, then then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And, And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That promise that God made all the way back there in the Old Testament in Ezekiel is, is fulfilled through Jesus. The word that, that Peter uses here in 1 Peter, uh, just in case you're like a language nerd and you are interested by these things, it's, it's a, a perfect participle, which means it's an event that happened in the past. It took place at some past point. At the point of our conversion is when it started. And it, it has ongoing, continuing effects. 
We continue to be purified because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Which is super cool because we continue to sin as long as we're in these bodies. And, and I want us to be like clear and careful here. Uh, it's not that the Word of God gives us this list of rules for us to follow, and if we follow all of those rules, then we are considered pure. That's not at all what Peter is saying here. He's saying that, that through our belief and faith in the truth that's contained in the Word of God, through placing our faith in Jesus, that's how we're saved. That's how we're purified. That's, that's what causes God then to, to do this work of transformation in our hearts. And, and the result of that, the outcome of that purification of our souls is this ability that we now have to fervently love others. And really, I think that's what this whole passage, this whole section here is all about is, is how we now can and should really, truly, deeply love others. He says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. In other words, the, the reason that God purified you in the first place was for, for the purpose of love of the brethren. Because of that, do it. L love them. Fervently love one another from the heart. From, from your new heart. From that, that heart of flesh that God has given you. And now, now, just like following your heart is horrible bad advice if you still have that old heart of stone. Because that's constantly going to cause us to stumble and be bent inward. But if through our faith in Jesus we've had that heart of stone removed and replaced with a heart of flesh... Now we have the ability to follow our heart. And where that new heart is going to take us is this selfless, sacrificial love for other people. There should be. There's supposed to be something different about the way we care about each other. We, we have a love that's not about what we're going to get in return. It's really more about just giving. It's sacrificial. It's love that's okay with being taken advantage of. It's love that, that understands what it means to, to give more. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uh, defines love using all those descriptive words, right? I mean, I'm sure that if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard First uh, Corinthians 13 read and if they're all words that are selfless and giving and sacrificial. And, and then at the end of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says this, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. In 1 John, he says God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. Okay, so since you now have this God-given capacity for love, use it. Use it to really, truly, fervently love one another. 
Peter says love them fervently, which can be translated un, uh, hypocritically. Love in an honest way. Love without looking for return. Love extravagantly. Love generously. Love purposefully and consistently. And love from the heart. Love with this desire that other people are cared for and valued. Love because you understand how loved and valued and cared for you are. Love is the, as, a, as a demonstration to others of the change in the work that God has effected in your own heart. Jesus says that by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So we need to love in that way, in, in the way that, that shows people that we are a follower of Jesus. So uh, why then should we spend regular, consistent, daily time in the Word? Part of the reason is because we spend so much regular, consistent, daily time in the world, right? We spend a lot of time soaking in that environment. And there are just so many things that we deal with every single day that make us angry or make us frustrated or make us confused or discontent. Seems like everywhere we turn, people are trying to, to make us mad or get us triggered somehow. It's like everybody wants us to be outraged about everything all the time. But what if we didn't have to live that way? What if we didn't have to be always mad about something always? Uh, and could, there, there are plenty, plenty of legitimate reasons to be upset, but... We're not supposed to be people who are known for our hate, but for our love, for our compassion and our care. We're supposed to be people who are known for, for bringing peace and hope, like, like the eternal kind of hope. And, and we, we get better and better and better at doing that the more time we spend in God's Word the more time we're able to counterbalance those effects of the world on us. The more we focus our hearts and our minds on eternally significant things, the less worried and upset and freaked out that we're going to be about temporary things. Well, we, we care about eternal things because we have been redeemed with the enduring Word of God. Look at verse 23. It says, For you've been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So again, how have we been made born again? It says right here, it's through this enduring and living Word of God. God's Word is what has brought us back to life. Back in Genesis, uh, God spoke a word and everything came into existence. He breathed the life into man. In John uh, 1 1, we read that in the beginning, Jesus was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word of God brings about life, and it brings about new life. 
Again, in in, uh, John 3, we read about Nicodemus. Jesus explains that in order to be saved, in order to see heaven, you have to be spiritually reborn. And then Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We are born again through that eternal Word of God through our faith in Jesus Christ as the living Word. This verse here, verse 23, is closely connected with the verse right before it that encourages us to love fervently because of the eternal nature of the truth of the Word of God and because of the transforming work that it does in our hearts. Because of those things, now we have the ability to love. Next, Peter reminds us that, that this Word of God endures forever. This Word of God that makes us born again and it changes us and it gives us the ability to love, it, it will never fail. Verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, falls off, but the, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Man, that's amazing, right? That's, that's saying something. How is that possible? How is it that, that this Word of God, this, this Bible that we have, written by all of these different people uh, over uh, hundreds, thousands of years, in three different languages and all these different places, and yet it's still amazingly consistent and true. How? Because it's God-breathed, Right? How is it possible that the words of Jesus recorded by Luke and John and Peter and Paul could survive through thousands of years of church persecution and through years and years with like no internet or printing presses? Like, how does it make it through all that? Because God not only has the power to inspire His Word, but to preserve His Word and protect it and to ensure that what we have is exactly what He wants us to have. It will not fade away. The Word of the Lord endures forever. And it has survived countless attempts to twist it and to change it and to suppress it and to destroy it. But the Word of the Lord endures. And Peter says at the end of verse 25, and this is the Word which was preached to you. Oh man, I I love that. I love... Just such a simple little encouragement there. This this imperishable, enduring Word of God is the one that was preached to you. It's the one that you have heard without without change or alteration. Man, I want to make sure that that is true for you. I want to be able to say these exact same words with confidence. It is, it is this Word, this Scripture, this truth that you have had preached to you. And nothing else, not, not my opinions, not my ideas, not some new uh, cultural wind that's blowing through, but the enduring Word of God. Because only that enduring Word of God can change us. 
So part of that change means that we have the ability to love and we have the ability to put off all of these different forms of hatred. Uh, look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. Remember last week, uh, we said that whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? Well, here's another therefore. <laughs> In this case, he's referring back to the fact that you've had your souls purified through obedience to the truth for the purpose of loving others because of that. Because that's true. Therefore, put aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all slander. Why? Because those things aren't very loving. Those behaviors are, are not who we are anymore. Because we don't, we don't have to live that way anymore. And man, that is, that is encouraging and that is freeing. We can live our lives with this, this deep, selfless, fervent, odd, weird, abnormal love for others. And, and never again act in a way that is malicious or deceitful or hypocritical or slanderous. But when you think about it, why do we act in those more hateful ways? I think there's a couple of reasons why we respond in those ways. And one of the big ones is control, right? We want to be in control. We want to be in control of people and things and, and the situation around us, how others see us. We want to be in control of that. And, and that, that desire for control leads to all kinds of unloving behaviors. But for us as children of God, we already know, we recognize, we understand we're not in control of anything. God is. God's the one who's in control. And that's okay. That's comforting. That's reassuring. We can just trust Him and rest. Now, sometimes fear causes us to act in hateful ways. But again, knowing that God is for us makes it a lot easier for us to, to not ever worry about what other people may or may not do to us. God's on our side. It doesn't matter what anybody throws our way. And really, uh, malice and hypocrisy and slander, deceit, they all come from the same root cause, uh, selfishness. We, we want to be important or we want to be respected or lifted up. We want the things that we want and then we get frustrated and upset when we don't when we don't get those things. But for, but for people who, who understand how much they have been loved, how much mercy they've been shown, how much grace has just been poured out on them. There's just no room left in our hearts for anything hateful there's there's no room when we understand how much god has loved us for anything other than fervent love for him and for everyone else 
We love because He first loved us. We love in this way because He showed us how. He gave us an example of how to love even in the face of murderous hatred. We don't repay evil with evil. This is, this is transforming. It should be life-changing for us. That this, this enduring Word of God enables us to live our lives in this way. And, but this, this process of abandoning uh, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and all those hateful things, it, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It's not like a switch that gets flipped and one day we're mean and the next day we're super loving and nice. Maybe it is, I don't know, for some of you. But for a lot of us, it's a process. It's this work of sanctification that God is doing through His Spirit in our hearts. And it comes through regular time reading and soaking in and understanding the Word of God. It's this Word of God that matures us, that grows us. 1 Peter 2 Verse 2 says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Uh, I, got to, I got to hold a newborn baby this last week. My, my guess is that Bobby and Maddie understand what Peter means right here when he talks about how newborn babies long for milk because they need to eat like what? Every every couple of hours. So most of the day they're crying. Uh, they're desiring to eat. That seems like that's all you're doing for those first few months is like feeding a baby and changing diapers. Uh, when we went to visit, it was adorable. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to hold the baby and, and they were so excited about uh, the baby's first poop. Uh, they actually <laughs> took out their phone and showed me a picture <laughs> of a full diaper. <laughs> that is so cute. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so it's, it's in that way. It's in this like, I, this hunger, this desire for God's Word. He uses that as an object lesson to teach us about the kind of hunger we're supposed to have for God's Word. Because just like milk is going to help that little baby grow and get bigger and get stronger and get healthier, God's Word helps to mature us and help us to grow and get stronger and healthier. Do you have that kind of, of hunger for God's Word? Do you, do you crave it? Do, do you feel weak and malnourished without it? Do, do you feel the effects of the world just seeping into your soul when you don't have regular time with God's Word? Because Listen, the, the Word of God, it doesn't just save us. It doesn't just seal us sanctifies us, it changes us, it molds us, and it shapes us. It encourages us and it uplifts us and it reminds us of who we are now and who we belong to and where we're headed. We need those reminders.
the main way it does that, the key way that it does that is it, it just it points us to Jesus. It shows us Jesus. Look at Peter's closing words in verse 3. And he says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the world, uh, word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Oh, have you done that? Have you, have you experienced the kindness of the Lord? Have you experienced that forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus? Have you been a recipient of this grace and this mercy that Peter talks all about? Uh, have you read about and humbly faced the, this joy that comes from understanding what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Have you been awestruck by the amazing love shown to you? If so, you will crave the Word of God more and more. You will crave a deeper relationship with Jesus every single day. If so, you will, you will know how to love others. I, I, don't take my word for it. Just open up the Word of God and see for yourself. God, I thank You for the enduring Word of God and the truth that we find in it. Thank You, Lord, for the work that it has done in our lives. Thank You, Lord, for those who have, who have preached this Gospel of salvation to us. That by Your Spirit, You've opened our blind eyes to see who You are and what You've done. You've given us this new heart and this ability to love in a different way. God, we want that to be our lives. We want that to be who we are. We want others to see You through our love and through our behavior. Again, God, we thank You that You've given us Your Word and the work that it does to encourage us and shape us, conform us into that image of Jesus Christ. We love You and we praise You, God, for who You are and what You've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.